Hello, I'm Toby Shevchak. You're listening to Transit Lounge Radio at Login 2018. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me here today in the Transit Lounge, Toby. I'm really interested to hear what you've been talking about, about innovation in Africa and how it's different and how it works. Well, let's just set the context because for the longest time, Africa has kind of been seen as one of the, the poor relatives of the global economy. And, it, and The Economist ran this pretty scary headline in about 18 years ago saying Africa, the hopeless continent. And that was kind of sadly true at the time because there was so much wrong with our governance, with our infrastructure. And within 10 years of that, quite a remarkable thing had happened. The six of the 10 fastest growing economies in the world were in Africa. And, and sure, a part of that was because of the resources super cycle, the, the value of, of minerals under the ground and gold and oil and all of that lifted so many economies. But it really focused people's attention on the continent. And, and for me, the most important thing that happened around 2010 was the boom of the mobile industry. And, and I liken it to the, the way the, the, uh, the railroad was built in, say, North America, where first you had the infrastructure build, then you needed uh, the stuff to make it function, the, the wood, the, the coal, the water. These were steam trains, you know, this is second industrial revolution stuff. And then all the other industries on top of those, the saloons, the brothels, the general traders, all the little towns that sprung up along the railway route. And that's analogous to how the mobile industry in Africa has, has boomed. We started with the infrastructure build, the fact that you had to put these base stations really in the middle of nowhere with very little infrastructure off the electricity grid. Either you had to power them with diesel, it's very expensive, very valuable, so people would try and steal it, or solar power, which is also something people want to steal, solar panels. And, and this is a, a remarkable infrastructure build in its own right. But on top of that, we've had levels of innovation. First, the data price wars that, you know, the best example is, is Kenya in about 2010 that brought the cost of using internet access so far down for people. And then on top of that, clever things like M-Pesa, you know, the grand old daddy of, of mobile money systems. The GSMA says half of all mobile money services in the world are in Africa and we've proved unexpectedly to a lot of people that we can be truly innovative because we've found a way to get around our problems. I mean they're pretty serious and they're pretty real problems but yet we've found a way to innovate ourselves out of the problem and that's that's how I define innovation, solving real problems. You have Silicon Valley innovation which is, let's not knock it, I mean Silicon Valley doesn't have any oil and yet it's an incredible exporter of, of intellectual property and, and we've had some pretty huge innovations out of it from the silicon chip to computers to you know apple uh, on which so many other industries have been built but right now you know the the biggest stories are often this backlash against silicon valley you know 700 dollar juices that you can actually just squeeze the bag yourself you know and yet in africa with the kind of real problems that we have people are solving them they're solving them in a, in a, a frankly brilliant way I think it was really interesting what you were talking about also that Africa um, people haven't had computers. They haven't, they've actually leapt, le leapt straight from different forms of technology to working on phones. And this is not even smartphones, but what are called feature phones, right? And so the ways of innovating to solve real-world problems, especially to do with being able to get a good price for your crops or getting access to clean water or education, 
is really exciting. So do you want to talk me through a little bit some of the ways this innovation has happened? Yeah, in, indeed. I mean, the, the mobile phone is, is more a phone and less a smartphone because simply because of cost, people can't afford a, a $50 or $100 smartphone. Sure, people are able at a certain level, but the vast majority of people aren't. The innovation you see at the feature phone level are just fantastic. One of my favorite examples is M Pharma a Kenyan company that uses SMSs basically to create a, a group buying and a group selling system. So big commercial farms are able to get an economy of scale because they're buying so much fertilizer or seeds or all the other input uh, costs can come down. And then when they sell their produce, they've got a much bigger volume so they can get a better price. Small individuals, small hold farmers just don't have that economy of scale but what if you can get a hundred of them or a thousand of them or ten thousand of them together and buy on their behalf and sell on their behalf and that's what M Farm does and it does it all with very basic feature phones using SMS I mean there's some fantastic examples of how you can use SMS to organize people and to offer them incredible levels of service one of my favorite examples was in Senegal how someone set up a, a weather warning system for fishermen so they would know if there was a storm coming so they wouldn't get caught out at sea in Ghana there was a great system where they kind of taught people how to grow stuff on a farm like the basics of of how to make your own fertilizer which in this instance was get a big 20 liter plastic bucket add vinegar and raw onions and that's enough ascorbic ascorbic enough to to kill off the, the bugs and someone s used this for a few years saved the money that they would have spent on the fertilizer and eventually accumulated enough money that they could buy their own piece of property now that's that's real empowerment that's really lifting people out of out of the poverty zone and i think this level of sort of innovation as well where you're coming from subsistence level living to something where you can kind of raise up so you have a little bit more agency and a little bit more empowerment in your life and what you're able to do the choices you're able to make is like really 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 vital indeed it is and 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 if you add in the factor of of digital money right so now when people have the facility to use digital money the remarkable statistic is that people start to save because they can save and generally, and, it, and, it, and it's a great thing, it's generally women. Women have a better handle of, of money than, than men do. I'm, I'm sorry for the men listening to this, but what they've discovered is that once people have a digital facility, even though they're not earning revenue, they, they're storing cash in that way. So, so you get some quite interesting byproducts of the digitalization of so many services. So, so it, it's empowering in, in more ways than the originators imagined and thank god it is i mean I, that's an interesting point because i've read that especially with micro loans if you actually give money to women they start a business that supports the family and the community and so would you talk a little bit about what you're involved in now what sort of projects are you looking at or working on or writing about i'm really interested in in this very african way of how we solve real problems because it's so defining of the nature of, of our continent. In South Africa, we have this phrase called a Boer marker plan, which is Afrikaans for a farmer makes a plan. And there's a, there's a rich history of, of people coming up with clever ways to solve this. I'm particularly interested in agriculture. Agritech is the phrase for it. And it's, it's interesting to see that it's become a, a booming industry because 
there's so many people who are smallhold farmers and they they're really up against it aren't they 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 most of them have never been taught how to be a farmer they, a lot of people have ended up being a farmer because they lost their jobs in the cities and had to move back home or one of their parents died and they had to come back and help the, the situation the the remarkable founder of ICAO in, in, in Kenya worked, uh, I mean, she was telling me, Sue, that, she, that the issue is most of those farmers, the last time they had formal education, they're in their 30s, the last time they had formal education was when they were somewhere between 13 and 15, and that no one's taught them how to farm, and she's found this truly exceptional way to educate people using sms and what she realized is that this new generation of sms allows you to conjoin several messages together so it appears as one long message and the phrase she uses it really sums it up she says she's drip feeding manuals into the market and she's a ted fellow they've you know been really great in supporting her and she's proved a business model a use case model for how to do this kind of education service using a really simple phone. I mean, there are no videos, and yet it's information that's available. And the, the last time I looked, the dairy industry in, in Kenya was a, 630 to a $623 million business. Now, now this is quite profound. Like, you allow a, a, a dairy farmer to increase their, their yield by 10 liters a day. That's a significant amount of more money that they have available to themselves. And, the, and, it, and it lifts them, it truly lifts, lifts people out of poverty. It, it brings a new sense to the phrase. A, a lifting tide raises all ships. I mean, I love the iCow um, project, and it's also um, my family in New Zealand are dairy farmers, and so I, I, I relate particularly to that example too. I think this is a really, really interesting area. Yes, it is indeed, because the fascinating thing about knowledge is local knowledge is infinitely better. Mm-hmm. You know, so the Khan Academy is amazing, right? You can you can watch videos about anything. And yet what people have found in certain circumstances is that stuff uploaded by teachers in their own country or in their own language is much more relevant to people. There's, there's something about it. So, so that kind of initiative allows people to get their own direct experience and, and that of someone they know that looks like them, that speaks like them. That has amazing value. You know, we, we, we forget the power of learning something, which in the very beginning as a child would have been from your own parents you know education has 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 evolved to the fact where you can watch bill gates do a lecture or you know anyone say stuff and learn so much information i mean i think about this of of ted talks i found it fascinating that we're in an opera house you know that that a couple of hundred years ago an opera house or a, a symphony theater house was was the height of grand popular culture well what is that today right it's not, it's not so much television where do we kind of go to look for inspiration and and it's ted and the ted style talks that so many conferences now do that are so inspiring and i and i think that's really fantastic i've loved the fact that this is in an opera house this is the this is the grand you know the grand culture of the day something interesting and 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 fantastic and you don't have to listen to all of you know Wagner indeed I mean when I walked in today I I am of course charmed by this sort of slightly kitsch old school architecture and one of the one of the wonderful organizers said to me oh look we really see it through different eyes like she she was apologizing like I'm sorry we're in this kind of strange old space but I think it's also a really interesting juxtaposition of the kind of old culture and new modern 
technology and innovation and creativity. And I also, um, that point about education and how you actually frame knowledge is super important because as I've been editing like these open learning guides with Rogue Agency or um, trying to gather the skills and knowledge bases that the people we're working with have and try to figure out how to, you know, how to transmit that and how to, sh how to shape it and how to, how to give people you know, the kind of the confidence and the platform also to share the knowledge that they have with each other. You want to be working with people who are solving problems for themselves um, because that's, that's where it really gets traction and really takes on and really kind of people change their own lives, you know. That's, and I think this sort of shift is really, really interesting and important as well. Yes, it is. I mean, it's at the end of the day, all of this we do is to be better people and to know more about the world. The more you know about the world, the more compassion that you have for other people, which is ultimately the point of life, isn't it? We, we want to be better ourselves. We want a better life for our family, for our community, from our country. And we, we eventually all learn that there is no us and them. It's all us. And I think, too, the more you can, can operate always with kindness and generosity to the people that you meet, even if you don't understand, you might have different viewpoints, you don't quite get where they're coming from, but if you're open and you want to learn from each other there's always a way to find a connection or a conversation that you can communicate. This brings me to my last question, which is, what is your vision for the future and how do we get there? Well, I always thought Star Wars was a pretty good vision for the future. <laughs> I li I'd like space travel and I'd like my co-pilot to be a Wookiee. Um, <laughs> um, I think we're living in a world where, I mean, we live in it now, don't we? Like this, the everyday reality is what Asimov wrote about in, in science fiction books that I read as a kid, Multivac, the Ask Anything supercomputer is the Google. You know, we, we live in this remarkable world. We have this internet terminal in our hands called a, a smartphone. The thing we're starting to realize in 2018 is the alienating nature of, of these devices and that we're staring at our, our screens in our hands as opposed to into the eyes of the people we're sitting next to. And I think what we're going to start seeing is a, is a, is a shift in the way we understand our interaction with other people, we're going we're gonna to hopefully, I really hope, hope we're going to be less inclined to send a message to the person sitting next to us or, or, you know, across the room and more likely to speak to them. That old technology called FaceTime, not Apple's uh, camel case version, but the, like the real. And that our privacy is really important, I think, based on the Cambridge Analytica scandal. We've, we've really begun to understand the importance of our privacy, the GDPR in Europe is fantastic. It's really giving power back to people for their own personal data. I'd, I'd, I'd like to think we kind of, we've had a bit of an enthusiastic rush into this new technology, into new social media, into this oversharing world, but we've kind of realized that the errors of it, and we've all realized we have a technology addiction and we have to do something about it. So I'd, I'd like to believe we're gonna have a more humanized version of what we have now, with hopefully cheaper data. That sounds brilliant to me. And I'm going to, we'll log out here now. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in today to talk. I really appreciate your time. <laughs> <laughs>